coming up on this special episode of the GeekWire podcast, a conversation with our STEM Educators of the Year. This honor at the 2023 GeekWire Awards is presented by Bank of America. Stay tuned for a special message from Bank of America later in the show. I think it's capturing the natural wonder of kids and letting them ask their own questions and then kind of being a facilitator for them to do their own research and empowering them saying, yes, you're five years old or you're eight years old. You have questions. Guess what? People that are much older than you have not found the answers to these. You could be the one. I allow my students to fail. They have an opportunity to develop their designs. They have to make a decision, right or wrong. If they make a wrong decision in a design, they have to figure out what went wrong, how do you fix it, and move forward. I have a saying, I said, I am not happy until I see maximum smoke. Hello, and welcome to GeekWire. I'm GeekWire reporter Lisa Stifler. Today, we're bringing you a special episode of the podcast, two outstanding teachers are being honored at the upcoming GeekWire Awards as our STEM Educators of the Year. These amazing teachers inspire and nurture our kids. Their efforts help educate students who become the future entrepreneurs of the year and tech titans that we celebrate at the GeekWire Awards. They will be honored on May 18th at the 2023 GeekWire Awards. The awards will be presented live at Showbox Soto, Register at geekwire.com slash awards to attend in person or to view the live stream of the event. Now, let's meet our honorees. Melissa Piercy is a kindergarten through fifth grade teacher in the Spokane Public Schools in Eastern Washington. She is a science specialist at Jefferson Elementary School. Ted Rodriguez is an instructor for high school juniors and seniors at the Snow Isle Tech Skills Center in Everett, Washington. The program serves tech-focused students in multiple school districts north of Seattle. Welcome to both of you, and congratulations on this honor. Thank you, Lisa. It is a pleasure to finally get to meet you, and I look forward to seeing you in person. Thank you so much. Thanks so much, Lisa and GeekWire, for allowing me the opportunity to talk to you about science and my students. Melissa and Ted, I'm looking at kids these days, and they are really distracted by a lot of what's going on in their worlds. How are you getting them excited and focused on science education? So kind of thinking about my students, I get kindergarten through fifth grade students. And so I'm really lucky in my position because I get to be with kids. I get to teach science and I get to watch them grow into scientists. In my position, they come to me naturally curious. They're empathetic problem solvers. And so it's a really good gig to have because um, I get to share my passion with science and engineering with them. So a couple of things that we have done lately with our students. We have a trout in the classroom tank. We have scientists that come in um, in January, they drop off trout eggs and the kids get to watch them grow and then they get to release them in a local lake. And so we have a lot of hands-on um, experiences and real life opportunities for them to connect to real world problems. Another 
piece that we've been working with is the Department of Fish and Wildlife, where we they are solving different problems in our community, such as like having a moose on our playground or what happens if nest of squirrel, like we actually had that happen. We had some baby squirrels that fell out of a tree and the kids kind of came around of like, well, what do we do? Do we pick them up? Do we leave them? And what, what they had actually ended up doing is they called a scientist. The scientist said, go on Google, find some mom squirrel sounds, put the phone by the baby squirrels that will attract the mom. And so we actually did that during recess. They went out there, put the um, phone right by the baby squirrels. The mom came out of the tree, picked them up and then brought all four of them up into a different tree, into a nest. That's terrific. Squirrels and moose. Did you really have a moose on campus? Oh, yeah. We had them twice. <laughs> they walk through and and we have deer and turkeys. In our courtyard, we have, so we have a the way that our school is, it's a big square. And in the middle, there's a courtyard right now. And it's a really good problem because um, we have a mom duck and a father that lay eggs in there. So all of the classrooms in the inside of our school get to see these baby ducks. Another one in that courtyard is, should tell you this, but um, we have berries and they ferment. So we have a bunch of um, birds that come in, eat the berries, they can't fly out, and then they hit the glass around. I wasn't thinking I was going to share this story when I got up this morning, um, but they share. And so the kids were developing things to put on the windows to deter the birds from going in. But again, kind of going back to that, they're naturally curious, they're empathetic. It's r- literally right in their own backyard. They're trying to solve these problems. I love that you are leaning in and embracing these opportunities for educational experiences as they present themselves in their different forms. Ted, I I don't expect you to talk (laughs) moose and drunk ducks, but what what can you share with us about about your approach? We do not have moose. That's no aisle. But uh, we do uh, uh, work with 44 high schools in our uh, campus, all the way from Stanwood to Arlington, Darrington, uh, Sky Valley. We offer programs all the way from aerospace to uh, veterinary science, uh, veterinary assisting. And we have um, an interaction between the majority of the departments in which uh, our students work with each other. The entire campus, that relationship works in our favor. In other words, we may start uh, a project let's say, in uh, alternative energy. And uh, the construction department might want to take advantage of solar panels for some of their school uh, bus sheds that uh, you very often see uh, on rural roads to keep uh, the students safe from from, uh, rain and snow. And they call upon our electronic engineering students to come and adjustment, set them up, and so on. That interaction allows a different insight into basically the world of science. It is a fantastic opportunity. Automotive electronics is very, very, very important. Diesel machining, which is uh, advanced manufacturing technology. We have students that are dual enrolled. Some some of our students are home uh, school students, and they spent their entire day at the uh, campus moving from one department to another. Uh, we have AM and PM sessions at Snow Isle, and uh, we, we start our day at 7.55 in the morning, and uh, our uh, last students walks off campus at uh, 1.40 in the afternoon, 
uh, taken uh, part either in the AM session or the PM session. But the interaction, I want to speak a little bit more to that, offers this unbelievable relationship between students that uh, in some cases don't know the, the, uh, the words from one department to another. My students talk about Ohm's Law, a current, voltage. Our uh, uh, diesel students talk about hydraulic systems, brake systems. Our construction people talk about routing and all of the particulars of the separate departments. But they are all interested students. And uh, we are lucky at Snow Island. Our students have got to apply for entry into our uh, Uh, career and technical education classes. They are selected. They have to write an essay. They have to actually meet eyeball to eyeball with the interviewers, which are usually us, the teachers. They have to tell us, why do you want to follow this career path? Or personally, do you have a career path? Are you going to just go ahead and uh, try to take this information or take this education and be employed? Do you want to continue education? Or what are your plans? Because they have to talk about all of that and basically sell themselves. And that is a very, very, very terrific learning experience. And we allow them to uh, talk about themselves. As to uh, Again, like I said a few moments ago, why do they want to be there? Why do they want to pursue electronics engineering technology? Why do they pursue veterinary assistant path? And uh, I tell you, some of those uh, some of those students are just fantastic. And of course, in the engineering department, we want to get uh, more ladies into the field. Some of our, our award winners, some of our uh, student of the quarter awards have gone to uh, some very, very, very terrific ladies that are looking forward to the science field. SpaceX uh, is uh, interested in one of the uh, engineering students. And she actually made contact with SpaceX during one of their uh, presentations. So they've been uh, on our campus quite often looking for ladies in the, in the STEM field. And we are so proud of that. It sounds like a college-level program. It just sounds pretty phenomenal what you're doing with these students. Lisa, it is, it is a college-level program. I transferred my college program directly into Snow Isle, and they do get college credit. It is fantastic. Uh, I have uh, uh, research teams, and I have uh, mechatronics teams. I have a team that, uh, if you don't mind me uh, making up a word, uh, that uh, <laughs> I, I ask these students to high schoolize my uh, college designs to fit the equipment with which we work currently on in our lab, and they do a fantastic job. It it is quite. Uh, quite a fantastic uh, outcome, and they get to learn so much. It's real-world applications because from our program, they're ready to be employed. It sounds like it. I mean, that's that's really phenomenal. And I, I love that because I think a lot of education has slid towards so much emphasis on academics and not practical applications of skills. And I love that this is kind of marrying the two. We're talking with the two honorees for the STEM Educator of the Year at the GeekWire Awards. Let's take a quick break. When we return, we'll talk with our teachers about how they foster critical thinking in the age of chat GPT. We'll be right back. Bank of America is a proud sponsor of this year's STEM Educators of the Year at the GeekWire Awards. 
supporting those making progress in educational attainment and bringing economic opportunity to diverse communities is a priority for Bank of America. STEM educators inspire and create access to the knowledge and training needed for future generations. Bank of America salutes this year's recipients and will be awarding them each with a classroom grant at the event on May 18th. Welcome back to the GeekWire podcast. I'm GeekWire reporter Lisa Stifler. We're talking this week with our two honorees for the STEM Educator of the Year at the GeekWire Awards. Melissa Piercy is a kindergarten through fifth grade teacher in the Spokane Public Schools. Ted Rodriguez is an instructor for grades 11 and 12 at the Snow Isle Tech Skills Center in Everett. They will be honored at the GeekWire Awards on May 18th. One thing I was thinking about when you were both talking is a talk that I heard a few years ago with some great educators. It was UW President Anamari Kausi and Dreambox CEO Jesse Willie Wilson speaking at a GeekWire event, and they really emphasized the importance of teaching kids to learn and to think. They really acknowledged that our world is moving so fast that the content isn't always the most important piece that you really want to teach them to learn. And you look at something like GPT-4, which is turning things upside down potentially, and it seems like that critical thinking is even more important. How do you approach that and sort of think about fostering that that critical thinking, maybe scientific method? I think it's capturing the natural wonder of kids and letting them ask their own questions and then kind of being a facilitator for them to do their own research and empowering them saying, yes, you're five years old or you're eight years old, you have questions. Guess what? People that are much older than you have not found the answers to these. You could be the one. And so with that frame of mind, just nurturing their own questions has been a big piece of that, of that it's not a cookbook type laboratory. It's what are your questions? We're going to build on your interests and going that way. This doesn't really answer the question, but it kind of goes with what he was saying. I get to do a lot of research just because being a PhD student and one of them was draw a scientist. And I think it kind of goes to what he was saying is I had third, fourth and fifth graders. So 180 kids draw a scientist. So traditionally, and it's kind of redefining what science is. And I think that's letting kids know traditionally they think it's Albert Einstein in a lab explosions. And so with the research that I was doing with the students, every girl drew a girl scientist. So that shows that they're looking at science as before it was kind of a very exclusive group. There was just a little bit where now girls, for them to draw themselves or to draw a scientist, when I ask them to draw a scientist, they're drawing girls. That's really, really big. And then they we're drawing themselves out in the field. So kind of like the tech P or the um, technical education that he was talking about of like, well, I'm out in the field. I'm not in a lab. That's one type of science, but I'm out looking for fossils. I'm out on a ship looking for sharks. Um, and so it's really kind of getting to go with their own interests, but it was just interesting that all of the girls 
drew a girl scientist and then a good portion of them, when they were asked, draw a scientist, they drew themselves. And it's like, that's exciting coming up, being five, six, seven years old, and then getting to a point where they get to be in a really amazing program like he's talking about that they've internalized. I'm already a scientist. Actually, there were a couple of boys, which is kind of unheard of, they drew girl scientists. So most of the time they would draw a a boy. um, But there were a couple that they had moms that were biologists, just this shift of like, anybody can be a scientist. Science is very inclusive now versus traditionally, it's, it hasn't been inclusive to everybody. So just a little side note, but it was interesting when you see girls, every single one of them drew a girl scientist even 10 years ago, you probably wouldn't have seen that as much. So it to me, that's the litmus test of like the paradigms changing to where more, more kids are thinking of themselves as scientists, no matter what their background. And then traditionally, kids that are from underrepresented populations, they were drawing themselves as well. And so as much as we love Albert Einstein and what he's done, it's we're, we're getting to broaden the definition of science, that it includes everything. And it's not just exploding things. It's <laughs> in your own backyard. So, so that's kind of exciting. That's really hopeful. That's great. Wonderful. Ted, what are your thoughts? Oh, my goodness, Lisa. Thank you for the question. Empowerment is a large part of engineering that Melissa knows and and you folks know as well. I allow my students to fail. They have an opportunity to develop their designs. They have to make a decision, right or wrong. If they make a wrong decision in a design, they have to figure out what went wrong, how do you fix it, and move forward. But they do have an opportunity to, I love that uh, that phrase, blowing up things. I do, uh, they do have an opportunity to blow things up. I have a saying, I said, I am not happy until I see maximum smoke coming up <laughs> in the gridded circuit or, or power com- uh, driver or controller. I said, it shows that you are trying. I'm fascinated by education and all the things that are learned as a side event from the assignment. Assignments are great. It provides uh, a procedure, a start, and uh, a finalizing of a particular design. Some of the uh, designs in which my students operate on are quite unique. Because of, of the advent of uh, mechatronics in the 1980s, 1990s, mechatronics is, is the interaction of electronic controls and mechanical systems. That's what it is. It involves sensors. It involves infrared, uh, uh, biometrics, ultrasonic lane changers that we have in our cars. Uh, That uh, uh, phenomenon is studied by uh, the students in the department. Biometrics, that uh, principle that you can basically set your fingerprint or your retina scan, your gait, your speech. Those technologies are uh, uh, covered in the engineering program, as well as the math required to understand the intricacies, what is needed to correlate one component to a system. Because we have to have a a systems-related approach to the design in, in our modern world. We value the failures that occur in our designs, but we learn from them so tremendously how to keep that from happening. And uh, again, 
when uh, when I ask the students, well, uh, you've got calculus principles, you've got algebra principles, you've got a derivation of this, and you've got to follow the science to either correct, improve, or design a system that will hold up for your requirements mm -hmm. and to make our society able to use that particular system. That's basically the bottom line. Society is our customer. I think a lot about climate change. That's what I cover a lot and have for many, many years. And looking at what we're going to be handing off to these kids is pretty daunting. But what I'm hearing from both of you is that problem solving and that looking at real world opportunities and not just being paralyzed by the challenges, it sounds like, but more empowered to think about it. like, well, what, what does this mean? And what can we do? And I mean, second graders doing, you know, water quality is pretty amazing. That's really cool. What are your thoughts on how you are kind of teeing up science as a way to solve things that are really hard or, or maybe bringing joy also into the science that they're doing? One of the most uh, interesting things that we do at Snow Isle, which actually is going to be uh, starting this next quarter, by the way, we invite eighth graders for tours through the uh, departments that we have on campus. And one of the most interesting aspects of uh, the tours in my department is when we illustrate and we demonstrate our alternative energy systems. We do solar panels. We do uh, hydro generation. We use heat to generate um, systems that accumulate energy uh, and then uh, release it uh, uh, at the appropriate time. But we have had some fantastic uh, reactions to some of those demonstrations, especially with the solar panels. Uh, I, I make a comment and I asked the students to validate whether my comment is correct or not, in which I said, you know, uh, the state of Washington generates more solar energy than uh, Arizona or New Mexico. And, of course, the eyeballs just become uh, uh, intense. But we don't have that much sun <laughs> in Washington state. I said, but we don't have the heat. We don't have the heat. The heat diminishes the efficiency of our of the solar systems, probably the solar panels. We actually have the best of uh, all the worlds. We have hydro, we have solar. Well, I like that you're challenging their assumptions and kind of letting them sort of discover things that are unexpected. And I think a lot about climate change is challenging assumptions and, and seeing different opportunities. Absolutely, Lisa. That's ex exactly what it is. And Melissa, you know, looking at science as a positive way to respond to things that are kind of scary sometimes. What do you want to say about this? One of the programs that we have for Spokane Public Schools is we have partnered up with Gonzaga University. We call them the GU Fellows. Um, they have eight right now undergrad environmental science majors or biology majors. They are science majors with a communication minor, which is actually kind of interesting because then they can communicate the science piece where if you don't feel like you're a science person, they can communicate the bigger issues involved. But so they've been coming in. Um, right now they have third through fifth grade um, renewable and non-renewable energy lessons that they do with kids. And there's also a third grade weather and climate. So that was kind of, um, I was on the end of like kind of helping develop some of those 
questions and it was, we don't want to be fear-based. We, like he kind of said before, we want to empower kids. And so watching third graders look at pictures from NASA of like just ice sheets from our glaciers 30 years ago to now, they're very empowered. They want to make sure that they take care of their world as eight-year-olds. And so, but not in a fear-based way, in a, we are really smart. There is kind of what he was talking about too of the acceptance of failure. Failure is just what we do as scientists and engineers now where before I think science had like this, it's just a nice bow and it they never really pulled back the curtain to see all of the times like people that work for NASA have failed over and over and over again, where that's kind of becoming mainstream. I know even in our district, we have social and emotional learning now that really embraces failure. So it's an empowerment of like, how did you fail? Yay, you failed versus, oh, we're going to shun you because you fail. And so, so going back to the GU fellows, they come in as undergrads teaching some of the lessons and they're expanding those lessons. But then I can also talk to kids, like they're very, the kids walk away very empowered. The undergrad science majors are walking away very empowered. I know when I talk to kids, I'll say, do you see, like one of them is Madden. Do you see Madden up there sharing her passion about climate? You could be that. I want you to come back into my classroom in 10 years and do the same thing. And they're like, oh, we'll do it. We're And this is what we want to. And so it's already empowering them to kind of think of that. So it's, it's very, yeah, very positive and failing is a good thing. Just reframing it. Failing is a good thing. And we can find this problem and it, we're probably not going to get it the first time or solve it, but we'll keep at it. And so and I think that's really when I've had kids present. Um, so after they do an engineering cycle, they will present just kind of like in the industry of like you're putting up your product, people are going to give you feedback. And so one of the essential skills is how to give proper feedback to um, kids, like if it's a safety issue, a kiddo, well, my own son, my oldest was like, well, you're probably going to die because it's da da da. And so it's like, okay, Gavin, if you have a safety issue, you don't say it this way, but it's just kind of giving them the skills there to have those conversations to talk. And it, it is empowering when they get up, they get to share. And then feedback isn't a bad thing. It's like, oh yeah, I can improve this. So failure and feedback are kind of the two big things that really are empowering. And it it actually brings a lot of joy for them because they're like, oh, I haven't thought about making my rover waterproof or doing this or that. A lot of them will start off with like a big problem, like global warming or like what problem speaks to you. Sometimes it's my grandma lives with us. She has a hard time getting around. I'm going to try to figure out what happens. I know we're very tight with our middle school who has a wonderful robotics and engineering program. And so we've got to like just Skype and the kids are getting to go over there and tour what what's coming. So as a fifth grader saying in two years or now it's next year, you get to go this lab, you get to solve your problems, bring your problems with you. And then there's teachers there that are like, what are your problems? I can help you solve them. So some of them, they were traveling and they saw kids their own age that didn't have clean water. So they came back in that engineering class. So 
I know about this because the younger brothers and sisters are in my class and they're like, oh, actually my brother who's in this engineering class or my sister came back. So what happened is two girls went on vacation. They saw some young kids that were their age, had no clean water. They came back into their engineering lab and created a filter for a water bottle that could give them like a shower and clean water. And so it's very empowering, but they do talk to each other quite a bit. That's amazing. Ted, did you want to add anything to that? I think the phrase critical thinking just says it all. That is the key to so many, 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 many opportunities. Solving, I I don't even want to use the word problem, solving an issue. What do we need to do to make it suitable for as many folks as possible, as many people as possible? What do we need to do? How do we approach this? How basically can we make it better and, and sustainable? We're talking with the two honorees for the STEM Educator of the Year at the GeekWire Awards. Up next, are there opportunities for kids statewide to participate in the types of engaging STEM classes that Ted and Melissa teach? We'll discuss that when we return. Welcome back to the GeekWire podcast. I'm GeekWire reporter Lisa Stifler. In this special edition of the podcast, we're talking to the two honorees for STEM Educator of the Year at the GeekWire Awards. Melissa Piercy is a science specialist and kindergarten through fifth grade teacher at the Spokane Public Schools. And Ted Rodriguez is a teacher at the Snow Isle Tech Skills Center in Everett. Hearing about your programs, they are amazing. And of course, we've chosen you because you are both amazing. But I'm wondering, are you really isolated. Are other kids having opportunities like your students are? I'm sure you're speaking a lot to different peer teachers and programs. Are there a lot of opportunities out there for students? And what needs to change if that isn't happening? How do we scale you guys and and what you sort of do? In my position, or well, in my district, there's 35 of people that get to teach K-5 science. And so we get to collaborate a lot. And what's happening in my classroom We have the leadership with our elementary science coordinator and our superintendent. And so the the vision is the same. And so, in fact, like we have a trout in the classroom right here, but we're working with the Spokane tribe to be able to get salmon in the classroom for every class. The first step was we just adopted the salmon in the classroom curriculum through the Department of Fish and Wildlife. They developed that That's a very, very big thing in Washington state is the culture of salmon and the cultural piece of salmon. You have the science piece, but then you also have the cultural piece and being able to acknowledge that. So to be able to scale, I think we do have the opportunity. And as we're collaborating as science teachers, like I just did one uh, science night launch where I just invited about 50 scientists or science clubs. So there were a lot of elementary clubs and middle school, high school clubs, and then college clubs that came. And the preface was for the science night or the STEM night, please share a passion that your club has a question that they're asking or a problem that they're solving. And so being able to have the the kids go through going, oh, when I get older or right now, I can share a passion, ask a question, solve a problem. But then uh, as I'm sharing with other science specialists, 
they're going, yeah, we could do this and we could do this. Or so like right now trying to get field trips, that's a big thing of out in the field. So like we can go down to Lataw Creek, they can actually do the turbidity and test the water right there. They can see for their own eye. Like, so there is some push that way, but I think it's also having the vision. And we have Dr. Swinyard, who is our superintendent. And then the right people have the right vision to make things happen where it's not always been the case, but right now for science education and STEM, it's very, very friendly to that. If we have a need or a vision, they're going, yeah, we have that. I will say, Partly too is a lot of people there have kids of their own and those are the best. Like when a kiddo comes home and tells their parent, yeah, I tried to solve the problem of Lataw Creek today and like their house literally looks over Lataw Creek, that in itself. And so it does help our superintendent has school age kids that are in our district. So he's going to want them to have the salmon in the classroom just as much as that high expectation for his own kids, he's putting for all kids. And so it it lifts um, all ships in a way. So it sounds like then leadership in districts and then statewide programs are able to sort of make sure that these opportunities are more widespread. I agree. Well, listen, I I, I would love to have your students come through our, uh, our campus I'll start them off and send them up to you. Absolutely. I mentioned a few moments ago about our uh, eighth grade tours. Those are the uh, students that will make things happen. They become so interested in those particular areas that are available as your science programs and science opportunities have shown the opportunities do work if, if they are presented. And I think... Uh, as teachers, that's our responsibility. But um, there's another thing that can be done. We can share, not just with tours, but uh, we can visit programs like yours from uh, programs like the ones we offer here at Snow Isle. We have 22 wonderful programs. Each one of them is top quality, and the teachers are just fantastic. They are very, very, very capable technicians, engineers, at all levels that basically communicate the importance of science, mathematics, engineering, and education, all of the uh, parts to the STEM acronym. Field trips, you mentioned field trips, That uh, and, and I, I took an opportunity to write that down as you were talking about. What is very, very interesting as far as communicating technology and science, when field trips on our campus actually take place, they get to meet former graduates who are employed by the particular companies whom we may be associated for that particular field trip. And they get to see what it is that those former classmates are involved as far as their employment. And they get to see that opportunities are available for everybody. So equity is very, 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 very important. And we make those opportunities available by by visiting as many, many of our support schools or ascending schools as possible. Uh, and uh, we have outreach folks that do a very, very, very terrific job. So making the technology known and take it to our future students is very, very, very important. Our audience is very tech focused and in the STEM fields themselves. 
Do you have an ask for our listeners? Is there something that people working in the tech space could do for your programs, for public schools around the state? I would like to have as many as many of our uh, tech folks visit programs like ours, uh, Melissa and ours here at Snow Isle. That is the best thing that could happen to our students, seeing these folks, meeting them, talking to them, just the association, just to see the uh, immense love for the technologies with which these folks are, are working in their respective companies and the opportunities that a lot of them have for our future technicians and scientists. Well, I would piggyback on that. If you do have your person that would be for GeekWire, there is a little one of you out there that's just waiting to be inspired by you. So if you can go mentor them or just see, like, again, like pull back the layer of like, this is how I failed. This is my life story. Letting them know, like letting them be in on that secret of how you got to where you are, you're inspiring that next generation. And you might walk away a little bit inspired by some of our younger scientists and engineers and technologies as well. But if you can give back, get back into a classroom, just go back locally wherever you are. And it, it really can be like, we're just starting a thing of like lunch with a scientist. So I have certain kids that will wake up, all they want to talk about is volcanoes guess what, kiddo, I can find a volcanologist for you and you can sit down and have lunch because they see a lot of themselves in you. Or if they don't see a future in science, when they get to meet you, they go, oh, this is something, this is a possibility. And I think both of our programs too, it's like just expanding and letting kids know this is an opportunity for you. This is the world of science and engineering and technology and math, just to let them know that it exists. So kind of giving back would be my advice or just making that connection to a classroom because you'll see yourself in the kids that are looking up to you as you present. And so, and don't be afraid to share what your, like the failures, all the, the your love, what brought you to where you're at. Cause that, that really will be th the best gift that they could have is a future in, in tech and science. Thank you so much to both of you for joining us today. This has just been an amazing discussion with our GeekWire STEM Educators of the Year. It's so inspiring. It really makes me want to go back into the classroom myself. I mean, these are tremendous opportunities these kids have. It's really, really exciting. Melissa and Ted will be honored at the GeekWire Awards, along with all of our award winners on May 18th at Showbox Soto. To register for the in-person event or to watch the live stream, go to geekwire.com awards. Thank you for listening. Kurt Milton edits and produces the show. Daniel L.K. Caldwell composed and performed our theme music. I'm GeekWire reporter Lisa Stifler. We'll be back next week with a new episode of the GeekWire podcast. <laughs>